We are back with Fantastical Truth. This podcast from Lorehaven helps Christians to find truth in fantastical stories, and then we apply this truth to the real world that our world's creator, Jesus Christ, calls us to serve. I am Eastimer Burnett. I'm the publisher of Lorehaven, and today's topic shall be a rather fascinating one. And I'm Zachary Russell, and I promise I'm not a virus. And if you're wondering why I'm saying that, because this is episode 16. How do we discern stories that claim humans are a virus on the earth? We got into this idea for this topic because there's a viral meme going around saying, quote, the earth is healing, humans are the virus, end quote. I, I tracked down, Stephen, the original uh, Twitter post about this, and the person seemed to be pretty genuine about it, and there were something like 300,000 likes on it. Then people started making fun of it and criticizing him, and he finally, you know, he finally came back on and said, look, I'm not saying people should die. It's just, oh, isn't it nice that the earth is so much better, there's less pollution. But really, the best part of this whole thing was all the memes making fun of it, which we'll get into those in a minute. But it brings up the question, you know, is this something, was the original sentiment something to take seriously or something to laugh at? You know, what, where's the truth in all of this? And what about all the think pieces that have come up, uh, such as this headline from the New York Times, would human extinction be a tragedy? <laughs> it's obviously on a lot of people's minds with uh, over a million people with COVID right now. So we're going to go into some worldviews in this segment. This is going to be kind of um, a little bit more of a theological one, but kind of like our epic resurrection series. And we're going to talk, we're going to talk some Bible in, in the midst of talking about stories. So I've kind of broken this down into three different worldviews that people have about the earth. This is kind of like the base level of a lot of philosophies and a lot of stories that people say. So view number one is the earth belongs to people. Uh, The result of that is exploitative pollution that harms people. (laughs) So it kind of backfires. And, you know, it, we, we joked about it in uh, talking about Captain Planet in a previous episode that there's Dr. Sludge or whatever the guy's name is, Captain Sludge. He just, his whole point is just to rob the earth of all its resources, whatever cost it brings to the earth or to, to people. I think most people would say, hey, this, this view is pretty bad. But when you think about the first statement here, Stephen, the earth belongs to people, I think there's a lot of people that would say, well, of course it does. So let's talk about the contrasting view that usually is the only other view you hear, which is the earth belongs to itself. So that's kind of what gives rise to this, you know, we are the virus meme that the earth is healing, you know, humans are an invasive species. And so you get these really anti-human attitudes and policies and that these also harm people. So in both of these views, the end result is something that harms people. And, you know, arguably, this view can lead to harmful things with the earth. I, you know, Stephen, I, I don't know enough about environmental policy, but I've been watching a very interesting debate whenever there's massive forest fires, either in Australia more recently or last year in California. And there's a lot of people that say, well, the, pro- the real problem with these wildfires is that logging and other things had gotten banned and so a lot of these forests grew out of control and it all this dead wood was left over and that's what sparked all these forest fires now again i'm not really taking a position about that it's just people point that out with this view if you believe the earth belongs to itself it actually could end up getting harmed in the end so 
That leads us to a third view, which I believe is the correct view, which is that the earth belongs to the Lord. Amen. God created the earth for his glory, and he gave it, gave it to us for us to take care of it. This is the biblical view. There's a direct biblical verse that we really should link in the show notes. that says the earth is the Lord's and all the fullness thereof. Some people have the idea that God has somehow turned over the earth to Satan. We believe that Satan is a very real and harmful presence here on the earth, but it is still God's planet. He's going to take it back as we explored in that epic resurrection series. But right now, of course, it's undergoing a lot of groaning and uh, people are making bad decisions on it. And as we see, the, those bad decisions include uh, some of those very harmful worldviews. Uh, the earth belongs to people and therefore we can do what we like with it. Uh, trash the room, just whatever, whatever it takes to get what we want, build whatever we want. Uh, don't care about the animals. Uh, don't care about other people, for example. Uh, there's an idea called the tragedy of the commons or even some uh, some people with politically conservative views can have a pro stewardship view of the earth stewardship, meaning we should take care of the place. We should be careful while also recognizing that humans are overall meant to be on the earth. But I think it's that suspicion, Zach, that we, we don't belong here. We're unnatural. Something has gone wrong that people have deep in their hearts. I, I don't believe that people automatically know elements of the Christian worldview, like creation, fall, sin, redemption, but we're haunted by those ideas because we catch them from our stories or we just feel them deep inside. But without the gospel, if we're ignoring the gospel or haven't heard the gospel, we twist that around. We, we have to come up with some religion to explain those feelings, to explain that haunting suspicion. And so we turn to stories that talk about how humans are a virus or we turn to memes or conversely, we turn against the memes and laugh at them uh, without understanding that even the meme can even dimly reflect that idea that uh, humans, maybe we're not a virus ourselves as humans, but we have a virus inside us. If we call that virus sin by any other name. We distract ourselves from the biggest issue. And people, especially, I think, who blame humanity, humanity is the virus. Uh, I think they're trying to everyone else. Yeah, everyone else except <laughs> yeah. me. I mean, humanity asterisk, you know, asterisk means, you know, follow it down to the footnote. Everyone except <laughs> me and the people I like and the people I like temporarily, because, of course, someone who really, really goes in for that worldview is going to turn against their neighbors very quickly as soon as they do something mildly annoying. They're trying to expiate their guilt and expiation is actually an original Old Testament idea where you take your sins and you put them onto something else, whether it's a sacrificial animal or a scapegoat, literally the original scapegoat sent into the desert as a symbol of having your sins taken outside the camp and away from you so that God's wrath punishment for sin to be redirected onto something else instead of that biblical idea fulfilled in Christ, the ultimate sacrifice, people are pinning their sins or their suspicion that they're somehow wrong in some way onto something else, whether it's capitalism or environmentalism or just humanity asterisk as the virus, which needs to go away. Yeah. You know, I, I want to take a step back here and just say, it's okay to be concerned that the earth gets really messed up by human activity. I am in, in that part yeah. two of the Epic Resurrection series. I was talking about that tree in my backyard mm -hmm. and I, I felt I had to disclaim several times like, no, I'm not a tree hugger. <laughs> uh, I, you could cut down the tree even if there was nothing wrong with it if you were cold and needed a fire. I mean, that tree is there 
for man, you know, as right. Jesus said about the Sabbath, the Sabbath is made for man. Those gifts are made for our benefit, but any gifts can be twisted. Mm-hmm. You know, here in Texas, there is a, a sign you see everywhere that says, don't mess with Texas, which is always funny, Stephen, when, whenever friends from outside Texas come visit or they, they learn about this slogan, they're like, well, what, what, what are you going to do, Texas? Come, come at me. You're going to come fight me or something. And they, they don't really know that the whole point of that sign is it's a campaign against littering. Right. It got broadened out in the popular culture, especially <laughs> sure. outside Texas to, to mean more yeah. of a c- c- come at me, don't tread on me type, type uh, <laughs> implication. Right. So, you know, even here in red state, conservative Texas land, you know, we, we are very much concerned about taking care of the earth. And Austin is kind of the mecca of that. It's where Whole Foods started. It's where, you know, recycling started before anyone else, whatever. So it's okay to want to take care of the earth. I, I just want, want you listener to hear that's not what we're disputing. What we are going to talk m- more against um, environmentalism, which, uh, which I kind of define as earth worship. And the reason for that is because it is not a good enough thing to worship. It, we need to worship the Lord and have a proper view of creation so that we put our, our hope in the right place. I think there's, you know, there's a belief at the core of all this, Stephen, that, that really concerns me, which is that, oh, if, if the earth heals, then everything will be okay. Okay, well, let's just take that to the natural conclusion. It, Let's say, you know, all pollution stops for a whole year. Well, you know, we still have, like you said, the virus of sin. And so that's still going to bring everything back. And so the, the things that concern us about how humans treat the earth, the problem is not simply humans. The problem is a human disease of sin. We'll talk about that. But we do have to talk about the other side of what sin does in terms of our view of the earth. And by the way, just another disclaimer, this episode is not paid for by Captain Sludge, so please ignore those rumors. <laughs> but let's talk about this whole idea of a fancy word I've learned called ecologism. Or is it ecologism? Yeah, I, I don't know how to pronounce it. Is it tomato, tomato? Well, well, the original word is ecology, so at least my brain wants to say ecologism. Ecologism. Perhaps this right. also will appear in the show notes. Yeah, this is where my my Texas twang is going to get in the way because I don't know how to pronounce everything right. In case y'all couldn't tell, we are recording these episodes in Texas, the Lone Star (laughs) State itself, if you had missed that the first few times. There you go. So ecologism is a new political ideology based on the position that the non-human world is worthy of moral consideration and that this should be taken into account in social, economic, and political systems. End quote. And that's from uh, Georgetown University where I found that. So this worldview has its own eschatology, has its own view of the end times. And we see this a lot in post-apocalyptic movies where nature takes back its rightful place, uh, like in a post-pandemic movie such as I Am Legend, or where nature settles the score like in The Happening. And you know, Stephen, the best way I could explain this view is the earth is going to make the earth great again. Ah. <laughs> so this is one view that a lot of people have about the earth. And this might be an extreme you know, version of this view, okay? But the, the concern I have with all this, it really leads to an anti-human view. I actually saw this really clearly in the three-body problem uh, series. This is a, a science fiction trilogy by a Chinese author named Soshin Liu. And there's a character in there named Mike Evans that is just like, you know, why, why shouldn't humans die and the forest just take, uh, take back its place? And 
you know, he, he said it very, you know, overtly, but a lot of movies kind of say it subtly. And this kind of view leads to the virus meme, which was mocked. But fiction presents such a powerful way to examine this view, both for and against. But you know what? First, you know, we talked about the virus meme and some funny examples. Stephen, what, what was a funny counterexample of that virus meme that you remember? Well, speaking of Texas, there was one that uh, went in the direction of actually showing what seemed to be a photograph of downtown Dallas, Texas, with a bunch of badly shopped uh, Broncos and riders and bulls <laughs> and such uh, over top of it. Corny as all get out, of course. And the caption was simply, oh, look, the cowboys are coming back to Dallas. The earth is healing. We are the virus. Another one was, I think, the Loch Ness Monster or, you know, Bigfoot's out in public. The earth is healing. We are the virus. Uh, one also was captioned, this photo of the Hudson River was taken yesterday. The earth is healing. We are the virus. The attached photograph simply shows a bunch of radioactive neon, pink, purple, green, every primary color, <laughs> dolphins and seals and such, <laughs> puppy dogs, penguins swimming in the surf, of course, from the 1990s, Lisa Frank art. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think the original one I saw was, or one of the original, like serious ones was the, uh, the dolphins are coming back to Venice or something like that, which I didn't know they had dolphins there, but, and then someone made a similar one where they photoshopped a crocodile in Venice and said, Oh, look, the Louis Vuitton bags are starting to swim again. <laughs> a more like fantastical one was a picture of St. Louis with about a dozen arches and saying, oh, the wild gateway arches are growing back. <laughs> so the meme making has entered the surreal stage at that point. Yes. Oh, it, I love it. I'm just, I'm here for this all day long. Okay, well, that, that's all we need to say about the meme. But let's talk about how movies and stories have sort of promoted this view or examined this view. What, what are some movies that have come to mind to you, Stephen? Well, that actually is going to be your prerogative to lead me in this direction. Because when I was a kid, these are actually the movies that I tend to, to avoid. Why? because they are bad. Now I'm a mature adult. I understand that sin comes from the human heart and it doesn't necessarily mean that something that I see is automatically going to make me sin. The sin is in me, not necessarily in the movie. So I still avoid watching these movies because I just don't care. Actually, uh, <laughs> it may be a failing perhaps that I'm not engaging with popular culture as much as a good missional Christian should, but I avoid bad preachy christian made fiction and to be consistent i really just don't care to see other movies that preach at me if i missed it the first time when it was in theaters when it was at the head of the cultural zeitgeist i'm probably not as interested in it now uh, which means if someone says oh i can't believe you've seen xyz i'm probably going to go yes and it's probably going to stay that way right now because I'm very much busy. Thank you, though. Thank you for sharing your favorite movie with me, but it's going to be a while before I get to it. So I'm going to rely on you to tell me what these movies are all about. I think of the ones we've listed, I've seen only one, um, the Roland Emmerich uh, 2012 disaster movie, which I think actually released in 2011. If I remember yeah. right. Or was it 2010? It was at least was one or two years in advance. Yeah. So it wasn't 2013. <laughs> no, no, clearly not. Uh, by that point, uh, its prophecy would have proven untrue. <laughs> so yeah, I miss a lot of these movies. Uh, hopefully that's because I'm just working very hard and reading books and doing all these things. But I still watch movies, so maybe you can convince me to check some of these out, uh, even if it's some kind of a pandemic snacking game type movie. Okay. I say snacking game because we, we can't do a drinking game uh, for, the, <laughs> for these movies. 
So unless it's grape juice, we're good yeah. Baptists. And by the way, I've labeled these uh, preachy green movies because at least from what you've told me and from the stuff that I've heard, like some of these at least have a bit of an element of just over the top preachiness and moralism and a little bit of posturing and maybe even uh, flirting with the idea that humans are a virus, except for our yeah. heroes on screen. You know, they're, they're the good guys. It's all the other evil capitalists off screen smoking their cigars. They're, they're the bad guys. <laughs> Yeah, so the first one on our list here is The Matrix, and have you seen this, Stephen? I have not seen this. Okay, so we, we're going to put this on our list, that we're going to watch this together, and I'll tell you why. It's because the humans are the virus sentiment is said by the bad guy. Does that uh, Agent Smith is portrayed by Hugo Weaving? Yes. Do you have an yes, impression? So, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I better not, <laughs> but let me read, uh, he has, let me read the extended quote of what he says here, because I think this movie so well captures this worldview, but again, the worldview is being said by the villain, which th that's why I love this because it is a villainous view. The agent Smith is talking to Morpheus at one point. And Morpheus is one of the main characters played by Lawrence Fishburne. And <clears throat> agent Smith says, quote, I'd like to share a revelation that I've had during my time here. It came to me when I tried to classify your species and I realized that you're not actually mammals. Every mammal on this planet instinctively develops a natural equilibrium with the surrounding environment. You humans do not. You move to an area and you multiply, multiply until every natural resource is consumed. And the only way you can survive is to spread to another area. There is another organism on this planet that follows the same pattern. Do you know what it is? A virus. Human beings are a disease, a cancer on this planet. You're a plague, and we are the cure. End quote. So, before we talk about some of these other movies that are, like, re you know, really on the nose as well, I love that the hero is being told this by the bad guy. And... It's a good story. It's a, it's a happily every after story. Good guys win, bad guys lose. So it kind of proves that view wrong. Well, that's, that's an important nuance to make there because at some times when Christians have been watching these kinds of movies and they say, oh, that's a preachy green movie. That's an environmentalist movie. Uh, this is the kind of movie that is opposed to basic biblical values. It is important to note in the movie, as in the Bible, to practice correct hermeneutics. Who is saying the quote? And if the villain here is saying this, and actually in a fairly convincing way, then that presents a greater challenge for the hero. But then if you have to follow the story all the way to the end and see if the story itself subverts or corrects or defeats this evil view. Uh, one of my favorite examples of this is actually from uh, The Lion King, uh, Disney's uh, 1994 animated film. Uh, people will often quote the, the song about Hukuna Matata, No Worries. You know, as if that's kind of the sum total of the moral of the movie. But actually, the story subverts that because Simba has run off from his responsibilities as a leader of the Pride Lands and is forsaking his responsibilities in favor of some carefree existence when, in fact, the movie encourages him to go back and ultimately corrects that false belief. So you've almost got me convinced to watch The Matrix for the first time. If for no other reason, then yes, I would like to see a villain who articulates this anti-biblical view, I would like to see him defeated. He's literally speaking against the Bible's command in Genesis where God tells Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Uh, the call to stewardship and the cultural mandate there. That's funny. It's a direct rebuttal to that, which hopefully the movie would, uh, would correct. 
Yeah. Well, and if, if that's not enough to convince you. So I saw this movie, first of all, in college and I it was in a season where I didn't really want to see any R-rated movies, action movies, whatever. And then my friend Darren said, well, don't you know, this movie is like a giant metaphor of the Christian life. And everybody was saying that at the time, as I remember, because, well, I also was in college when at least the sequels were very popular. And I actually thought, oh, wait a minute, like based on what I read, like it's like kind of Christian life, but also a bunch of other stuff thrown in there. But they yeah. may have been just talking about the sequels at that point. Yeah. As far as I can tell, the filmmakers are not Christian, but they intended a lot of Christian uh, symbolism. And, and there's some other things. There's Gnosticism. There's Buddhism. Okay. There's, there's a big mix of things. It's not a clean metaphor. And there's a but, bunch of unclean content in num movie number two, is there not? <laughs> yeah, that's correct. <laughs> Most Christians would agree. But, yeah, this is unclean. Sort yeah. Of thing. But, you know, movie number one is pretty self-encapsulated. You could just watch that and ignore the other ones. Oh, and, okay. Okay. And Agent Smith's character, I mean, he is pretty much Satan. Like, almost to a T, he is the character Satan. And the way that these agents work is exactly like how spiritual warfare works, which we talked about with our Frank Reddy episode. And Stephen, there are so many parallels that I found to the Bible in this that <laughs> my college roommates can attest to this, that I printed out like screenshots from this movie and put Bible verses on them and hung, hung them up on my wall because I thought it was such a great way to illustrate different things about the Christian life. And that was really what got me on this journey to find truth in fantastic stories whether it was intended or whether I could kind of see it there. And then to be really interested, of course, in Christian-made fantastic stories that illustrate these truths in really powerful and interesting and imaginative ways. So trust me, you won't be disappointed by that movie because of so much of that. But let's move on. So lately, there's been a great series on Netflix called Lost in Space. I've seen a few episodes and, of that. Yeah, it's, it's, yes. it's pretty good. I need to get back to that, especially because all anime is on hold now. One of my yeah. favorite anime shows. Yes, <laughs> Disclosure Podcast audience, I watch a few anime shows, not the terrible ones. I only watch good ones. But now Lost in Space is out there, and yeah, I, I kind of want to see that. But you're, you're talking about the 1990s, the 1998 uh, remake, the, the movie attempt that, yeah. that didn't, was not very well received by anyone? <laughs> yeah, and th this is the one that starred Joey from Friends. And there, there was a lot I wanted to like about that movie, but I ended up just like thinking about it and laughing all the time because the entire premise of why they've left for another planet in a spaceship is because people didn't recycle enough. <laughs> it's, it's so like heavy handed with that. Wah, wah, wah. I'm like, really? You built this whole thing because oh, we, we didn't recycle enough. Presumably so like, the whole thing was made from recycled materials. <laughs> It's like the filmmakers watched Captain Planet and said, hold my beer. And well, of course, they recycled their can. And yes, you should still recycle kids. But the bottom line is just watch the Netflix reboot. You can give the 1998 one a pass. The Netflix reboot is completely worth your time. It's very pro-family. It's got a lot of great things about it. But let's go to our next one. So this is kind of in chronological order. This is the day after tomorrow. This came out in 2004. Have you, did you see this one, Stephen? I actually did see this one. There was a few years ago when I got on a let's catch up on our hilarious disaster movies uh, kick. And I only recall the <laughs> sillier parts of this one. I'm, I'm mainly there for the special effects, you know, the giant snowstorms and then the ice monster, you know, as if the in invisible uh, uh, freeze uh, villain from uh, DC Comics is there. It's either <laughs> Mr. Freeze or someone like that. 
They should have gotten Arnold for this movie. I mean, that's how, right. How can he he's just there. Yeah, he's Arnold. just going around saying, everyone chill. <laughs> uh, I do have a spot for these disaster movies in that classic 1990s style, even going into the 2000s. And I only remember the sillier parts of this one, particularly global warming is is a threat, but it's such a threat. Man-made global, global warming slash climate change is such a threat that it's all going to turn around the Earth's climate within a few years. And I think even some global warming or climate change uh, advocates were a bit annoyed by this because it, it, used, it seemed to use the issue in their perception as a, as a wedge for, for its own imaginations and therefore made the whole concern seem sillier to more people. It set up a much, uh, much larger target for climate change critics or skeptics to knock down and say, you guys really don't believe in that, right? Yeah, I mean, the thing I remember the most about this movie is the entire reason the Earth enters an ice age is because of Dick Cheney. Dun, dun, dun. And for our younger listeners, that's a former vice president of the United States under uh, President George W. Bush, 2001 to 2000, early 2009, I suppose. Yeah, he was also a former uh, secretary of defense. As far as I could tell, it's not like even a metaphor. It's like he's literally there in the movie in the last scene. And so it's just like, you know, and that's where I just said, okay, this is obviously a preachy movie. And I just, like you said, I don't really like preachy movies, but again, I wanted to like this movie. It was so interesting and it's, it's a little bit backwards and that, okay, global warming causes an ice age and okay, listener, you probably know more about oceanography or climate science than I do. That's you, you can give me a lesson on that, but it was an interesting spin at the least. Cause you expect, oh, the earth is going to melt. Nope. It's going to freeze. So it's, and it leads to one of the biggest cliches that I ever see in movies. My wife and I laugh about this all the time, where one character says to another, well, I guess I'll have to warm you with my body heat. You know, so they got a little romantic comedy or something in there. And I guess there's no other source of heat anywhere on Earth, but let's move on. <laughs> uh, so in 2008, there was a movie called The Happening. Yeah, and this is by M. Night Shyamalan. So have, did you see this one? I haven't. I think I've watched a review or two of it because everyone loves to take a crack at roasting this one. Uh, I, oh yeah, I think right now, like even um, M Night Shyamalan, uh, may you know maybe he he may be doing one of those things where he says like, well, this is just my my unique style, and he kind of uh, rationalizes it that way. But I'm not sure that anyone regards this as his masterwork. <laughs> uh, everyone loves to, to hate on this one. What is it? The general premise is that just the, oh, the volume well, is the, the earth is rising up against the humans, but the method of right. rising up is just so uh, overly subtle and corny. And now yeah, no, nobody, nobody seems to, nobody seems to get what he was going for there. Yeah. So when I first saw the previews, I really was interested by this and I, I'm a sucker for M night Shyamalan. I'll just admit that I, Unbreakable is one of my all time favorite movies. I've seen it a million times. Except for the last airbender, which is terrible and doesn't actually exist why am i even bringing it up that's not a thing that happened that was an aborted timeline yeah he has kind of a hit or miss record but i i still find his movies really interesting this movie so listener if you've seen bird box this is going to sound familiar to you but the disaster in this movie is that people all commit suicide uh, in horrible ways and come to find out it's the forests it's the trees somehow putting a, a pheromone or something in the air that's making people go crazy and do this. And apparently it's because the forests are getting their revenge because people have cut down too many trees or killed all the bees somehow. Not and, the bees! <laughs> and, it, you know, it, 
gosh, there's just so many scenes with Mark Wahlberg that are so cringy. And that's the tragic thing is because I consider him a pretty good actor, but that's what everyone remembers is some really terrible lines that he had. Oh, well, it could have been good. But again, it was it was like so on the nose with this worldview that, okay, maybe it just deserves to die. Let's talk about Avatar 2009. This was this this was this had so many messages in it. I, I don't think you've seen this one though, right? I the, have not. The James Cameron one. I'm coming across here as a, some sort of a movie luddite. I've I've seen plenty <laughs> of movies, but I try to avoid the ones that I suspect are going to be preaching at me and that just don't appeal to me for whatever reason. The, hashtag not my avatar. My avatar <laughs> is a, a little boy named Aang who can bend all four elements and is uh, called to a destiny to defeat the Fire Lord. That's my avatar. I resent anyone else stealing the title. <laughs> so I'm, I'm disinterested in blue, sexy, lippy, uh, you know, elongated, uh, semi-nude uh, avatar uh, people. <laughs> from a, from a planet or a moon somewhere. And I'm still disinterested. I'm sorry. I, I, I can't. I, and I'm, I'm even less interested in the sequels. Yeah. I mean, this one is, you know, Fern Gully and dances with wolves and, um, apocalypse now all kind of mashed together. And everyone also compared space. it to Pocahontas 1995. <laughs> one yeah. of the most preachiest green movies by all accounts. And we didn't even include it on this list though. Yeah, it's it's very much a sorry about colonialism type of uh, message, and then sorry about deforestation. Sorry about da 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 da. Sincerely, white people, <laughs> right? Creative yes, it, white people in the uh, uh, industrial creative industry. Yeah, <laughs> it's you know it's a way for people to expunge their guilt. Expiation, exactly. Yeah, and uh, you know, and then there, you know, there's some, there's so many amazing movie parts and it, but there are contrasts with so many dumb writing parts like there is literally something they're trying to get a hold of called unobtainium yeah that sounds like a fan fiction like what i, I it, it to me it feels like the screenwriter you know just put a placeholder in and then forgot to do a search and replace later <laughs> this has happened as i understand i've picked up on some imdb trivia pages these, these things do happen with uh with script writing and movie making yeah yeah, and then uh, you know, there's this great SNL sketch with um, oh, I just lost the guy's no, name. No, it's Ryan Gosling actually. Ryan I've Gosling. Seen that one. Yes. Not, yes. Not papyrus. Right. How did they go with papyrus? <laughs> yeah, the the movie title is in papyrus, and he's he's a graphic designer, and it drives him crazy. Ten years later, and so. isn't he like uh, he's stalking <laughs> the guy who made the movie title, and like how oh, they let him get away with that? And he's like yeah. leering at Ryan Gosling from behind the curtains in the dark. That's hilarious. Yeah. So. A you bit know, niche too, but I think we all get it by now. <laughs> yeah, it's just funny what what sticks in your mind years later. And I, I guess you know we we bring this up because they're making an Avatar two and a three and a four or whatever. Why? So we'll see. We'll see what they go with. I I don't know. I I don't know how they could get any more um, beat the drum of political causes with this, but we'll see. So, okay, we've made fun of enough movies. This is not really the movie making fun of podcast. And if, by the way, you like these movies, hey, as I have said, I have not actually seen these. So I'm going on what I've been told. If you have a more positive slant on these movies, please send them in. But we like to stay positive, as you were saying, Zach, on this podcast. Lorehaven emphasizes the better types of stories. So every once in a while, though, yeah, we're, we're going to take a, a, a few good-natured uh, shots at some... Uh, metaphorical shots at, at some yeah. other stories that are just that are just preachy you know like we don't, we don't like 
bad preachy Christian stories or bad preachy stories for any other religion, especially ecologism, ecologism, however you say it. So Stephen, what are some better stories about creation stewardship that you've read or watched or have enjoyed? Well, earlier when you were talking about that, that idea of humanity, humanity is the virus. And, and then I said, well, humanity asterisk, you know, and the asterisk is always me and my friends, the friends that I have at the moment anyway, are exempt. One of the best takes on this is C.S. Lewis's Ransom Trilogy, often called the Space Trilogy. And oh, there's, yeah. a, there's another issue as to why we shouldn't call it that. Lewis, I don't think Lewis ever did. Uh, the idea of space is just some empty void is actually foreign to the cosmology that he's set up in this series where Dr. Ransom uh, is abducted by humans and taken to Mars, which is actually known as Malacandra in this world. And once there, he discovers that uh, his abductors, uh, whose names are Divine and Dr. Weston, are trying to colonize Malacandra because they're trying to, or at least Dr. Weston is trying to save humanity. He cares for humanity. And he constantly repeats, Dr. Weston constantly repeats how much he cares for humanity. And it becomes clear when he's interrogated by the angelic ruler of Mars or Malacandra, the Oyarsa of Malacandra, that he has reduced humanity to an academic abstract. He uses this as a code for what he wants to do, which of course is an idolatrous impulse to colonize on behalf of humanity, but without caring for actual humans. He abducts Dr. Ransom. He treats him poorly. He would have marooned him on this world because he thought, uh, spoiler, by the way, throughout here, he thought that the native Martians wanted some kind of a sacrifice. And so in order to save humanity, he was willing to punish or ill-treat actual human beings in front of him. And I see this impulse in some of the most extreme forms of ecology is that that's what people want to do. They want to save the world, but they don't want to help the person next to them. Or that's, that's a, a fact of Christians too. Honestly, we, we want to save the world, or at least I do. <laughs> Not personally, but I want the world to be saved. And yet the sin in me, the virus of sin in me, keeps me from actually helping the person next to me, the person who's made in God's image and who, as Lewis said elsewhere, is an immortal being. Everyone you meet is an immortal being, no matter how much they pillage the earth or how much they try to care for the earth, how overtly sinful they are, whatever. Everyone matters. Everyone matters in God's sight. And Lewis's view in that Ransom trilogy is that it's, a, that it's actually human beings who are not a virus, but that sin is unique to the earth because of the original sin, because of human beings being corrupted. And if we are to leave that planet, no matter where we go, no matter how unspoiled the land, we're going to take that sin with us unless God intervenes. Yeah. And I think Interstellar actually kind of echoed that of, you know, there's no evil out there, only what we bring with us. Oh, it really does. And yeah. I, the Dr. Man story. Exactly. Yeah. That was so yeah. surprising there. Completely hidden in any of the film's marketing. Right. Uh, now, I, I have not read Lord of the Rings, and so you can tell me more about Lord of the Rings in a second. So we, we can kind of reverse the, uh, you, turn the tables here. You are going to malign your friend <laughs> and your co-host for not having seen <laughs> The Matrix when you have not read the Lord of the Rings. This is actually breaking news to me. I don't remember this ever being, <gasps> hey, 
heresy. This is heresy. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm walking. So, I'm walking. I'm, no, not really. Yeah. But oh, actually, okay. No, I'm going to turn this around. What a joy and a blessing that you get to have for reading the Lord of the Rings for the first time. <laughs> As we record this just yesterday, Friday, uh, May the 8th, Andy Circus, Andy Smeagol Golem Circus himself read J.R.R. Tolkien's masterwork, The Hobbit, not a child's story, over the streaming video within 12 hours, maintaining enthusiasm and creative awesomeness the wow. whole way through. I didn't watch the whole thing. I can't wait to put it on in the background like over the next few months or so just to keep oh, up with how cool. he did it. So there, there's one way to start there. If you find yourself doing some grunt work, you need to, re you need to listen to that. He did this with special permission, and it, it's amazing. I, I can't wait uh, to hear what you think of not only The Hobbit, which has to come first, but then The Lord of the Rings. I will say I have a faint memory of reading The Hobbit or the first Lord of the Rings book. I can't remember. It was so long ago. Well, if it's faint, you may as well have not read it. Yes. Yeah. And I, I, I haven't read it as a Christian. I haven't read it as an adult. Oh, and blessed art thou among men. <laughs> And uh, the time that I would have read that, I quickly got into Dragonlance and sort of Shannara and a lot of other fantasy stuff. So I, I don't even remember. So Tolkien you put stuff. down the prime rib and went and got yourself a <laughs> McDonald's cheeseburger. No insult yes. to any of those fine creative voices, but by comparison to the maestro, the good professor. <laughs> yeah. So there's there's one scene I want to ask you about because again, all, all I can really think of is the movies. And it's the scene in, in the two towers Book two. where there's tree, mm -hmm. uh, tree beard, you know, so there's, there's literally tree. So there's literally tree hugging. Okay. They, Actual they, walking trees. Yes. Better than right. anything Shyamalan came up with. The, these trees actually do punish their movies just in good, honest combat too. Yeah. <laughs> you see yeah, it on I mean, screen. They, the trees get their revenge, make the earth great, make middle earth great well, again. Especially in the extended version where you actually see yeah. the orcs run into them and then the trees just start thrashing about in the distance and you hear the orc screams and you realize well justice has been done here the, the scene you wish to ask about yes please so my question is was tolkien expressing this ecologism view that the tree that trees should have moral consideration that humans are a virus based on my casual knowledge no unless you put the thing on a spectrum and at the far end of the spectrum you have the christian conservation version of that view which is, you know, every false religion starts with the truth. And the truth that I think Tolkien was aware of is that, yes, wanton industrialization, where you're just tearing down the forest without concern for not the environment, but for God's creation, that, I think that's what he was going for. And themes of that did find their way into his work. They're absolutely there. But for Tolkien, it wasn't so much an opposition to uh, the free market to you know liberty in trade and the the right of humans to steward the earth and the fact that the needs of humans do in many ways outweigh the needs of a spotted owl somewhere if it really is a legitimate human need. It, Tolkien accepted that in, in I think a correct way, and I think that his his view again it was not about opposing capitalism, but it was about what is this doing to the human heart. The human heart is depraved from birth as, as scripture says we're, we're spiritually dead and then even people who've been redeemed though need to apply that salvation to their original role as stewards of the earth we are the regents of god on this planet uh, kings and queens if we are in christ of the new earth and so we, we need to be careful and creative in how we are managing those resources 
by contrast, uh, Tolkien presents one of my favorite quotes when Treebeard is talking mm. about the corruption of the wizard Saruman, who was sent to Middle Earth as a servant, as a force for good in this world. Saruman Treebeard says, used to walk in the forest. He used to even talk with Treebeard. But as he became corrupted by sin, he stopped doing that. And he began to view the forest of Fangorn as an exploitable resource. Treebeard says, quote, he has a mind of metal and wheels and no oh, longer that's where cares. That comes from. Yes. He has a mind of metal and wheels and no longer cares for growing things, end quote. That really is the tragedy, is that it is the soul of Saruman that is being corrupted to see gifts, good green gifts, as something to use for evil ends, rather than something to enjoy as, you know, translating to a Christian worldview, an act of worship for the creator. When you start down that path, anything becomes a tool just a thing that you can use for your sinful ends. And so it's not the thing that's a problem. It's you. That's the problem. (laughs) You are not the virus, but you have the virus. And the Ah. only way to cure the virus is, of course, repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, who created everything for his glory and our good. Well, let's go to our fantastic fan segment and hear about how some of our listeners got into fantastical stories in the first place. And this is a very very brief story, but this is from Emily S., who says it was the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, or the Snow Queen. So it's great to see that, you know, all these years later, Lewis and Tolkien are still having such an impact on people and, and really getting us to look for great fantastical stories. Uh, next, we actually have a couple of comments, uh, lengthy comments uh, from a, a chap named Micah Harris, uh, who runs Minor Profit Press, by the way. We will give him this free shout out, minorprofitpress.com, just because he wrote some really good stuff about our Epic Resurrection series, the three-part uh, mini-series within the podcast uh, we started having a few episodes ago. Uh, there's a lot of a little bit of overlap, actually, between that series and this. Uh, definitely go back and check out uh, our, our view, our explorations of how God views the earth and how it's going to be redeemed. Anyway, uh, Micah's first comment actually posted at Speculative Faith, quote, thanks so much for this extended discussion on the redeemed physical creation. Something that irritates me is when mentioning some earthly pleasure, a fellow Christian responds, but we'll be beyond all that in eternity. I'm sure they don't realize how Eastern, even Gnostic, that sounds. God made nothing common or unclean, pronounced it all good, in fact, and generously gives us all things to enjoy. So there is nothing in the physical world and our physical existence that shouldn't be redeemed for us to enjoy simply on the basis of it gives you pleasure. Not sure whether we'll teleport into different locations, such as Jesus appearing in the closed room with the apostles, since the scriptural passages itself, (laughs) the scriptural passage itself, doesn't differentiate that activity in his glorified body from his physicality and his eating. Regarding the latter, I love what someone pointed out. Jesus had just invited them to verify with their eyes and hands what they could see and touch, but then verified by eating what they couldn't see, the resurrected existence of his internal organs, end quote. That's some really good stuff there, and I appreciate his, uh, his exploration there. I think, That's great. I think we have time for his, uh, for his next bit here, the... Um, the next comment he sent us at uh, actually the inbox podcast at lorehaven.com is one of the best ways to reach us, especially if you want us to read uh, what you say on the podcast. He also writes, quote, 
Much of our faith is speculative indeed when it comes to eternity. God has given us some Roman numeral outline headings such as no tears, no pain, etc., but hasn't narrowed it down much to the subheadings or specifics. As you guys put it so well, unless the Bible says it's not going to be there, the burden on anyone is to prove why any good thing that God himself made wouldn't be. God would not arbitrarily rule out pleasures he made. Jesus' words on marriage, for instance, focus simply on a society of immortals no longer having the need to reproduce. It's reproduction, not loving each other intimately. That's the focus of that discussion. I think marriage in the present age is like scaffolding that will no longer be needed in a world of perfect and holy individuals. Of course, I'm speculating, but we can be confident that God is not going to withhold any good thing from us. On the reading list, I'd also highly recommend the chapters on heaven and eternity in Clay Jones's book, Why Does God Allow Evil? There he argues for the eternal continuation of pleasure of which God is the creator in the life beyond. And certainly God created aesthetic pleasure, so there's no reason to think it would be excluded any more than sweet aromas or a loving embrace. Also, you guys might enjoy N.T. Wright's Surprised by Hope, which focuses on redeemed physical reality as our future, and Wright's work of not only readable but enjoyable scholarship, a massive tome titled The Resurrection of the Son of God. Thanks again for this great three-part discussion that has boldly gone where few Christians have gone before. End quote. Thank you so much, Micah. I, I was actually I love that. struggling a little bit this morning. Just obviously it, it's pandemic malaise and all of this and wondering yeah. what's going to happen. And, you know, this, uh, this discussion about resurrection and what we do with the earth is part of our fight to find the, the, that truth in the fantastic stories and especially that fight for joy, even in the midst of suffering, small suffering and <laughs> large suffering, which I imagine a lot of our readers have a lot more suffering going on than we have at this moment. I love that phrase Micah used, a society of immortals, you know, and then we'll be living on an eternal, new, redeemed earth. And Amen. that is just such a cool phrase to think about that. No so. more harmful viruses either. Not in us, not in anything else. Amazing. Well, next on Fantastical Truth, we are going to be joined by Chase Repligo, and he's become a friend of mine. He's the host of the Pastor Writer Podcast. And we're going to explore one of his and one of our favorite topics. What do superheroes have to do with the Bible? So, Stephen, are you, are you excited to have this episode? I know you are a huge DC guy. So what do you, what do you think is going to happen? I'm a huge superhero guy, I would say, although I drift into reading DC when I ever read comics. I do enjoy the superhero idea. Obviously, it's a bit overexposed right now in society. Everything's a superhero. Everything's Batman, Spider-Man, Marvel, all of this. Of course, Christians will trace these heroic archetypes back to the Old Testament, and we're going to legitimize that. We're going to follow these reflections, but we're also, Zach, not going to cop out and just say things like, oh, Superman and Batman and Iron Man and Spider-Man is the Christ figure. (laughs) I'm not opposed to that. I just think that that is uh, kind of the uh, elementary level ABC spiritual milk stage of analyzing superheroes in light of a Christian worldview. So really looking forward to exploring that with chase meanwhile do all that health stuff you already know how to do combating the viruses in your life we don't need to lecture you about that wait patiently for jesus christ the true king and creator of creation to bring true healing to our hearts and our bodies and the whole earth for eternity as we seek and find fantastical truth